Welcome to Parkview. We're glad you're here. Uh, we're doing this life on mission thing, and I just want to tell you, one of the reasons we're doing it is because religious people are kind of messy. Religious people bug me. Can I just get an amen from you? I, religious people bug me, and, and I don't mean like people who believe in God or Jesus, obviously. I'm talking about religious people, and this is the best illustration I've got for it. Uh, this is a guy in Texas who witnesses an accident, an uh, auto accident, between four little old ladies and, and a guy. Well, just listen. It's, it's hilarious. Hey, Mark. Excuse me. I'm on my way to 3768. Kind of got hung up. It's raining out here. I'm on my way into Dallas. Uh, thought, whoa, whoa. Man, I just had a wreck right in front of me. This guy ran a red light and hit, uh, hit four old ladies in, a, in an Impala. Just kind of clipped them and turned them around right in front of me. Man, that was close. Oh, now this guy's getting out of his car. Got a, he's got a white shirt on with a tie and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He's throwing his hands up in the air like he, like, like it was their fault. Oh, uh, hold on, hold on. He's going over their window. Oh man, she, I think she sprayed him with pepper spray, man. He's holding his, he's holding his face and he's on his knee. She's getting out. She's beating him with an umbrella. <laughs> the other women are getting out too. <laughs> understand what I'm saying? How many of you have been, uh, symbolically at least, beaten over the head by the Bible by somebody in your life, right? Uh, how many of you think you know that lady? Maybe she uh, used to go to your church, right? Don't raise your hand if you're sitting by her, but you know what I'm saying? No, I, that, that's the, that, I mean, it's just symbolic of, of what people think of Christians. They think that we're going to beat them over the head with the Bible, that we're judgmental. And it's been the climate of Christianity a lot. I, I would say if you really put the, the, the real sign up for a lot of churches, it would be, welcome to the church of we're right and they are wrong, right? I mean, that, that's kind of what it is. And not only did we become about us being right in each one of our little individual churches, but we became about being away from the world. At some point along the way, you know, it was like, like Christianity was kind of everywhere for a while. And all of a sudden, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, people started not being Christians as much. And it felt like the Christians started huddling we started, we started, you know, jumping down into our own little holes and hanging out, and we got our, ended up with our own schools and our own bookstores and started our own radio stations and got our own music. And when I was in college, our, our, our own Christian music was just starting to come out. And, uh, and there were people going around the country telling us that 
We should stop listening to other music, and we should only listen to Christian music. And they said, not only is it because the, the, the message, you know, going forward on the, on the record is bad, but if you played them backwards, does anybody remember this? If you played them backwards, it would have satanic messages. And, and I don't know about you, but when, when they told me that, the very first thing I did is I went home and I tried to play my records backwards. If you tell me that something's wrong, I'm going to go figure out why. That's kind of, that's my personality. I, 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 could anybody do it? Because I could not get my Sears turntable to go backwards and play music. I was, I was really disappointed. And I listened to them for a while, but, you know, they, they were going around saying we needed to burn our records. I, I was like, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of cool when you, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. A, a record is like <laughs> it's this vinyl thing that that our music played on before we had eight tracks. I, I didn't mean to get ahead of you. And it was cool when they burned because they, they shriveled up, you know. But, um, but, but I, I got to tell you, you know, when they started in on the Eagles Hotel California, I had to draw the line. I'm sorry. I, I'm just like, that's the best rock guitar duet in history. There's no way I'm burning that album, okay? Amen, right? Forget about it, okay? I, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying the Christian stuff is bad. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I, I mean, uh, Christian music ministers to me. We need our groups. We need, we need our things. When my daughters all ended up going to Christian colleges. What I'm saying is that removing ourselves from the world was never the goal. It's kind of the opposite of the goal. But that's what church became about. It was about removing ourselves from the world. My youngest daughter, Becca, is in college out in L.A. At a, at a Christian college, Biola. It's a fantastic college. I love it. I love that she's there. Um, last year, she was an RA. So she's been in this Christian college environment for three years, and now she's a senior. And uh, she got a job this year at the California Pizza Kitchen. And she just loves it. You know, because A, she's the only one from Chicago that knows anything about pizza, period. <laughs> California Pizza Kitchen is an oxymoron anyway. But, but B, she's around non-Christian people. She's around, uh, you know, people like, that aren't a part of the little club. And she's, well, what I'm saying is she's on mission, right? Jesus said our mission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's our mission. He said we were supposed to be witnesses. That's what we've been talking about in Life on Mission. You'll be witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. What does that mean? Well, they were in Jerusalem, okay? What he's saying is, I want you to be a witness right where you are. You know, get a job with some people that don't have Jesus. You know, hang around with people that don't have Jesus right where you are, right where you live. And we call that mission. If you ha haven't been here, I wrote this book called Life on Mission. Uh, we had to overnight some here to get them here because uh, we ran out. It's been going great, and I appreciate what you're doing with this. But we're doing the 40 Days of Mission campaign. We're in week two. It's not too late to grab a DVD, grab a small group guide, do this with your family, get a group together. It's not too late to do that. We've got a ton of people going through this right now to learn how to be on mission. Matter of fact, um, Ben Eckmeyer and Maddie Filippiak, who are junior high students at, at Martino uh, Middle School Junior High, started one in their junior high. They had to get sponsors. They had to get a teacher to do it. They had to go through all this rigmarole, and they're going to do life on mission in the, in the Martino Junior High. Isn't that awesome? I, I mean, so all I got to do is, all I got to do is say, what's your problem? You know, I mean, you, you, it's not going to be very hard for you to go figure it out. Grab the stuff and go do this. The, the problem with huddling and hiding is that it's the opposite of what God wanted us to accomplish. If God wanted us to hide from the world and try not to sin, he would have just taken us to heaven when we signed up. 
He left us here for a reason. We can't sin in heaven. He left us here for a reason. Rick Warren said, there's only two things that you can do on earth that you can't do in heaven. Sin and tell people about Jesus. So which one of those do you think he left you here to do? Tell people about Jesus. But the problem is, our Jerusalem has become the third or the fourth largest mission field in the world. It still blows my mind because as I'm growing up, I'm thinking that the United States of America is the Christian nation and we're supposed to send out missionaries all around the world. Well, guess what? I mean, we still are, but other parts of the world are sending missionaries to us now. Is that weird? I had a friend on a plane from Chicago to Dallas and he tweeted that he was on the plane with 50 students from South Korea who were going to Dallas on a mission trip. I thought Dallas was the buckle of the Bible belt. Are you kidding me? No, no, that's what's going on. And here's the problem. Look, you may, you may be here today, you may be listening to this, and you may not be a believer, or you aren't sure about Jesus. I'm pretty sure, I'm going to make a bold statement, but I'm pretty sure that if you haven't signed up for heaven yet, there's, there, there's one of two reasons. Either one, you haven't actually heard about Jesus and how much he loves you, or two, nobody's ever represented him to you very well. Or, or maybe worse, they have represented him to you badly. <laughs> if the only Christians you ever meet are beating you over the head with their hardback NBI version of the Bible, why would you want to meet their Lord? Why would you want to, if the disciples are, 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 are like that, why would you want to meet the guy they're trying to be like? Now, I was thinking about this week. Somebody needs to tweet this. The only people that Jesus beat over the head with the Bible ever were the people who were beating people over the head with the Bible. I mean, when you read the Gospels, the only time he's ever hard on anybody, the only time he ever pulls out Scripture and starts, you know, pounding on people is when he's talking to the religious people who are beating people over the head with the Bible, all right? So, so what we have to do is we have to go, hold on a second, what is the church here for? And that's what Life on Mission is about. What are Christians here for? Every day we have to ask ourselves two questions. What business are we in and how's business? That's Peter Drucker. What business are we in and how's business? So we've been talking about, okay, what is the thing that we're supposed to do as a church? And we're having fun with this, and I want you to send me pictures if you get them along the way. You can tweet them to LOM uh, one job, because we've been doing these one job pictures. Like, for example, you only had one job. Spell school right. <laughs> you only had one job. It floats on water. No, it's really not floating on water, dick. You know, I'm sorry. That's not working. You only had one job. Get her head on top of her body. That was your only job. You only had one job. Figure out what's in there. You only had one job. Make sure I can reach the toilet paper. That was your job. All right, send me, send me uh, tweets to LOM one job. We're going to just, you know, hashtag LOM one job. We're going to keep track of these and keep doing them because it's fun. It's easy to lose track of what your mission is supposed to be. Like, for example, you realize that the Cubs sell more baseball tickets than most other baseball franchises in, in the country? Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Has anybody thought about what the goal of a baseball organization ought to be? Because it's not to sell tickets. It's to win pennants, right? 
I mean, the, the people who are, you know, the people who are playing right now are not really happy that they had a lot of people come to the games. They're happy that they made it to the playoffs. You see what I'm saying? It's easy for churches to do the same thing. The, the point is this. Why am I alive? It's to share the good news. That's why I'm here. Okay, that, That's what's really important. And churches can lose track of it as well. I had a friend tell me that a church put up a church across from him put up basketball goals one, one summer, and, um, and he thought, oh, this is great. The neighborhood kids will have a place to play basketball, right? Yeah, yeah except that the church put clubs on the basketball goals when they weren't using them. The club as in, you know, like that thing that you lock your car down with so that it can't get stolen. They, they would literally lock down the basketball goals so that nobody could play on them when it wasn't Sunday or whenever day they wanted to use them for themselves. I mean, I, mean, I understand, but isn't that kind of the opposite of the point? It really is. Religious people were always, have always been the same. And, and back in Luke 15, it says, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Because that was his mission. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the Bible thumpers, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with him. He welcomes sinners and eats with him. Is this true? Jesus, is this true? Of course it's true. How else could he fulfill his mission if he didn't go connect with them? All right? You got to understand this. This is our first action step we're going to talk about today. It's connect. Week one is connect. All we want to do is connect. Jesus when he was here, spent a lot of his time connecting. And he wasn't connecting in church groups. He wasn't connecting just with his disciples. He was connecting with the sinners and the tax collectors. To quote the famed theologian Miranda Lambert, it goes something like this. Well, I heard Jesus, he drank wine, and I bet we'd get along just fine. He could calm the storm and heal the blind, and I bet he'd understand a heart like mine. That's good theology. Don't tell anybody. But that's exactly right. I want to tell you the story about one of the people that Jesus came into contact with today, Matthew. Um, the backstory is he's a tax collector, okay? And I'll explain that. Basically, he's a tax collector. That means he's a Jewish person who decided to sell out to the Roman government and become a tax collector. And in those days, the way they collected taxes was Rome said, you go collect this much tax and you charge whatever you want and you keep whatever you don't turn into us. And so, Absolutely, it was, it was mafioso, man. I mean, it was, it was completely, you know, illegitimate. These people were stealing. So all the other Jews really, really obviously hated tax collectors, all right? And how they usually did it, I mean, they didn't like go door to door and collect them. They would put up a booth or, or you know, like a, like a little, you know, a little place, a little tent. They would put up a, a gate somewhere and say, you can't cross here until you pay the tax, Okay. Um, picture Monty Python and the Holy Grail in your mind if you want to. And, you know, answer me these questions three. Just put that in your head, okay? So that's what, that's what Matthew does. He's got this booth there, and, and you can't go by him because he's got Roman guards with him as well. You can't go by him until you pay the tax. That's who Matthew is. True Jews would have nothing to do with anybody who had allegiance to Rome. So if you're a religious person, if you're a gracist, the last person you think deserves to be with the Father is a tax collector. Let me redefine. Gracism means I deserve to be with the Father, but you don't. It's not about the color of your skin. It's about the color of your sin. 
It's about the color of your sin. And your sin as a tax collector puts you on the very, very bottom. As a matter of fact, I read this story last week about the two guys that went to the temple to pray. Let me point this back out to you because we probably didn't even notice that it was a tax collector. Two men, Jesus said, went to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. (laughs) That should be a clue right there, right? That's a great prayer. I'm going to pray about myself. God, look how awesome I am. I thank you. Not that you had anything to do with it, but I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this. And he points over tax collector who is somewhere in the vicinity. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Aren't I a good guy? I'm not, I know I'm not perfect, but up on the gracism scale, I'm, 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 I'm pretty high. I don't need that much grace because I'm a pretty good guy. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up into heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That would have been the only way that a tax collector could have ever felt about himself because at the end of the day, if he thought about God, he knew that he was a crook. He knew that he was a sellout to Rome. He knew that you know, he was a bad guy. So the only thing he could do was say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he could do. And Jesus said, the tax collector went home justified before God, not the, not the religious guy. But, but my point here is that it was a tax collector. He was, this was like a Pharisee at the top of the scale and a tax collector was at the bottom of the scale as Jesus is telling the story. And what's interesting is the tax collector knew he needed God. Here's what I said in the book and I think it's important. I think the people of the world are more ready to receive the good news than we are ready to give it. And that needs to change. The reason we need to connect with people who are outside of church is because they know nobody lies awake at night and says, I am such a good person. I am really awesome. I am so proud of how good I am. I mean, does anybody do that? We all have self-doubt. We all know that we're not good. In our lucid you know, moments when we're really, really honest with ourselves, we all lie there and go, God, be merciful to me because I really stink. And I mean everybody. Everybody does. And here's what I would say. I think the farther a person is away from God, the more they realize they need him. You know what I'm saying? Listen, listen to this. This is why it said this. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Why is that? There's two reasons why he stood at a distance. One is because he didn't feel good enough. And two is because he was literally not allowed into the temple. As a tax collector, he had been banished from the synagogue. The gracists stood like scarecrows in front of the church and said, oh, well, you're okay, you can come in, but no, you're not good enough. Your sin is so bad, you can't come in. That's what, and at the bottom of the scale, it's, man, it's absolutely so striking. It's a tax collector. That's what should make Matthew 9, 9 so incredible to us. That's what, when we, when we read this story, listen, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now imagine you're the disciples, okay? Imagine they're disciples, and you, you're walking along the road, and all of a sudden you see this tax booth, and you're thinking, oh, I hate those guys. I can't believe we've got to pay another, you know, somebody get, the, somebody get the wallet out. We've got to pay our 
dumb taxes again. I mean, you know how you feel about that anyway. What if you're paying them to a guy who's ripping you off, and you know he's ripping you off, and he's a sellout to the government, and you know he is, and you've got to pay this guy. And you're thinking, here, Jesus, take the Bible and whack him over the head with it, because he's a terrible person. But instead, you hear Jesus say, follow me. <laughs> this is just awesome. It's the last two words you would hear, you would expect Jesus to say to a tax collector, right? Follow me. Repent, sinner. Yes. Shame, shame. Yes. Follow me. No. And then at some point, it has to dawn on them, wait a minute, follow me means hang out with us. We don't want that guy with his Hotel California backward masking music hanging out with us. I mean, there's no record of that in the Bible, but you know it had to dawn on them at some point. And remember who these guys are. Most of them are fishermen. That's pretty low on the scale. It was pretty low on the scale, but they're still above tax collectors. If you saw a gracism list of who deserves to be in heaven, it would look, I made this up, but I think it would look like this. Pharisees would be at the top, the teachers of the law, you know, they're the good people. And then you have doctors and nurses, they help people. Then you're ordinary people like fishermen, and of course below that, prostitutes, tax collectors, and people who set air traffic control towers on fire. <laughs> I had a really bad plane travel week. I'm sorry I added that when I was just venting, okay? Well, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that everyone has someone they look down on, even fishermen, right? This is not going to help their status. Think about this. Don't you know how excited they were when Jesus called Luke to be a disciple? Who was Luke? He was a doctor. They called doctor. They were like, Dr. Luke? Yes, this is awesome. This is a step up. Our street cred just went up. We've got a doctor now, Right? I was, in, uh, I was in L.A. this week working with uh, Saddleback with Rick Warren and some of, the, some, some of the people from around the country on an Af We're doing this big African Congress next August where we're going to bring leaders from all 54 countries in Africa together and leaders from the U.S. together, and we're going to talk about how we can affect change in Africa and make it better. It's, it's, it's going to be monumental. I'm, I'm psyched that we get to be a part of it, and, you know, we're working on Malawi um, four unreached people groups in Malawi. I mean, we got a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff that we're going to be doing. But I was there helping plan it. And Rick was, Rick was talking. He was like, we got to talk about the strategies to getting the influential U.S. pastors on board with this. Which, which you know, all he has to do is make a phone call and, and <laughs> he's going to, you know, he's going to make it happen. But we, start, uh, we were talking about how we're going to connect with them and get them to do it. And then, then he mentions, oh, let's, let's do some programming Let's think about what we're going to do next August. And, and he said, I want it to be very African, but he said, I'd like to take at least one, you know, artist from the U.S., and I'd really like to take Lecrae. I want, I want to take Lecrae over there. He's like the number one, you know, gospel music artist, rapper dude. I mean, really, really, number one, only Christian artist to ever have a number one on iTunes. I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's this guy, Lecrae, if you haven't heard him. And we're all like, oh, man, this is getting better. And then Rick goes, oh, yeah, and I got an email from Bono yesterday. And Bono from like you too, if you don't know, the biggest rock star on the planet. I got an email from Bono yesterday. Maybe I'll invite Bono to come. And I'm like, dude, if you get Bono to come, every U.S. pastor will show up. I mean, it's just not hard. Everybody's going to want to meet Bono. Everybody's going to want to go be there. We're going to have to turn people away if you get Bono there. Nobody cares if Bill Brown is going to be there. But if Bono is going to be there, this is really important, Right? Everybody wants their picture with mono. The disciples were like, yes, Jesus, invite Dr. Luke. This is awesome. This is perfect. But not Matthew. 
We don't want Matthew. Nobody wants a selfie with a tax collector. (laughs) Except Jesus. That's all we know. He called Matthew. And then in this very next moment, it says Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. (laughs) What happened? I don't know. Follow me. Okay, what's next? Well, I'm hungry. Well, you can come over to my house, Jesus. I got lots of food. I'm rich because I steal from people. You know, come on over. I got some good stuff. Let's have a party. I'll invite my friends. Jesus said, great, that's, that's why I'm here. And, and all of a sudden, there's a, there's a sinner party going on at Matthew's house. Because like all sinners, the only friends that Matthew had were other sinners. So Jesus goes to this party with sinners. And now just imagine for a second the conversations that are going on at Matthew's house. Right? I, I want you to put this into perspective because, you know, we just... Um, what were they just sitting around, you know, Jesus teaching them, reading, you know, reading Isaiah to them? Or no, of course, these are sinner people. They don't have, they don't know the difference. They're having a party, and, and they're they're excited because Jesus is here. And Matthew's running back and forth, you know, making sure the you know, the pizza rolls are hot coming out of the oven, and and restocking the beer cooler because nobody told him there was supposed to be beer at that party, you know. And he's got non-Christian music going on the radio. Because he hasn't heard of Mercy Me yet. He doesn't even know who they are. He, he, he doesn't even know there are Christian radio stations. And the music is thumping in the background. You know I'm all about that bass, that bass, that bass. No travel. Because you know he had a kicking subwoofer. He was rich. I'm just telling you, imagine. I, I want to I put you in that place. That's what it was going on. As a matter of fact, it was so fun. The next verse says, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. That's the Bible's way of saying Jesus was at a naughty people party. <laughs> and the next verse says, the Pharisees asked, why is your teacher at the naughty people party? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, this is so obviously offensive, we don't even need to discuss it. Why is he here? And Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Why do you think I'm here? I'm the doctor. And then then he hits them over the head with a hardback NBI version of the Bible. That's really what happens next. I know you don't really get this, but when Jesus says, but go and learn what this means, (laughs) I mean, he's talking to the teachers of the law, and he says, go and learn what this means, and then he quotes from two Old Testament prophets, I desire mercy, go learn what this means, you guys who think you got it all figured out, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You should know this stuff, this is the purpose, this is what business we're in, you should know this, but you obviously don't. My goal is not to create little boxes of churches where people come and hang out and get away from the world. My goal is to go take grace to the people who need it. And if you don't think you need any grace, you think you're good enough, then knock yourself out. But I'm here for the people who need the medicine, and the medicine is called grace. So quit hogging it. That didn't make them happy. Mike Iaconelli said, until Jesus came along, we were all outside the fence of God's grace. Jesus did more than move the fence. He tore it down. No wonder he made the scribes and Pharisees nervous. Fence makers do not like their fences torn down. Jesus spent a lot, maybe most of his time, with people who were far away from God, people who needed a doctor. 
He told us a parable in Luke 14. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come on, it's ready. But they all began to make excuses. So the servant came back and reported to the master, the owner of the house became, and the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, all the poor and powerless. Don't you love that song? Bring in all the poor and the powerless, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. See, the people who are going to miss out are the people that think they're healthy. They've got excuses. They don't need to go. And all the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame, they're going to get to come in. Not only that, but we're supposed to compel them to come in. I get a spot at the table, you get a spot at the table, we all get a spot at the table, but we just got to go out and tell everybody else that they get a spot at the table. And that's not easy for me because, you know, I'm a pastor, I, most of the people I hang out with are Christians, the parties, you know, the lunches are with Christians, it's not easy. And, and, and what happens is that we, we don't realize it, but that's our natural thing as we start hanging out with Christians. As a matter of fact, they tell us that the average Christian, once they've been a Christian for seven years, doesn't really even have any non-Christian friends anymore. John Stott calls this rabbit hole Christianity. Rabbit hole Christianity is when Christians aren't around non-Christians at all, and the only time they're around non-Christians is when they pop out of their Christian hole and they make a mad dash to some other Christian event and they pop back down in again. Can't you just imagine the Alice in Wonderland rabbit, you know, just popping up, oh, sinners, I got to go back to another event and get, you know, go to, go to my Bible study, go to my small group, I, I got to go to my Christian school, I got to go do that. Well, let me ask you something. If you're a disciple of Jesus, who is, it that you're, who is it that you're trying to be like? It's not rhetorical. It's just a simple question. If you're a disciple of Jesus, who is it you're supposed to be like? Jesus. The answer is always Jesus, okay? Who is it you're supposed to be like? You're supposed to be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus hung out with people who weren't church people. That's a part of discipleship. That's why I try to, I have to put, I have to literally make an effort to put myself around people who don't have Jesus. I work out at a health club, a public health club. When I'm in town, almost every day I'm at a health club. Okay. I could work out in my basement. I might even get a better workout, you know? I could work out. We could have a place at the church where all of our staff worked out. And we're not going to do that. We need to be, that's, that's one place where we need to go. And, and I was working out at that place when I, when I met the loudest mouth, bad mouth guy in the entire place and started working out with him. And, you know, I mean, this is, this is a guy who would gawk at every woman that came in. He had, you know, a, a, a bad, bad language and, you know, biker dude guy, you know. And, and it, was, it was cool until one day when he showed up in a strip club t-shirt to work out. And I, I don't know if there's an appropriate strip club t-shirt, but this was a really inappropriate strip club t-shirt. Okay. I mean, it was, it was offensive to me. I couldn't imagine being a woman and seeing this, this t-shirt. I'm like, dude, half the people in here go to my church. Okay. Everybody knows who I am. You can't work out in that t-shirt with me. And he wouldn't change. I said, turn it inside out for crying out loud. No, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't change. And that was when I had a pivotal decision to make. 
I, I had a decision to make. Am I going to go do this? Or am I going to be afraid of what people are going to think? And I walked out there. And I worked out with him in his strip club t-shirt. And I got to admit, at first I was like, you know, trying to kind of hide, you know. And I, I tried to get him to change. I'm sorry about the shirt. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I was embarrassed at first. And then after a while I started thinking, this is exactly what Jesus felt like during the whole three years of his ministry. This is exactly what he felt like. The religious people were talking about him because he was connecting to people that didn't have God. And I want to tell you something. It's probably a good sign that you look like Jesus, that you're a disciple of Jesus, when the religious people are complaining because you're around non-Christians. It's messy. The problem with sinners is they're messy. Biggest reason most churches don't mess with it, you know, they put up their scarecrow, is because they don't want the scary mess going on on the inside. Um, I happen to love it. I really do. I mean, I've told you this story before about the biker guy who thought WWJD was we want Jack Daniels. I, that's like, that's the flagship story for us, you know. Those are the kind of people that we want. I got a text this week from a guy, uh, one, of, one of our guys, and, and it had an expletive in it. And I, and I showed it to my wife, and I said, I guarantee you he doesn't even realize that he used this word in his text message to a pastor. And, and I, it's a badge of honor. I will keep it forever. Because to him, I wasn't, I wasn't a holy guy. I wasn't, a, you know, I wasn't the religious guy. I'm just another guy. And I, I'm not saying that word's right, but I'm, I'm saying I, that was the kind of relationship we have, and I love it. It reminded me of a story <laughs> several years ago. There was a guy in my office who was just really excited about the church and the things that were going on, and he was kind of new to the faith. And, and it, at one point, he just got really excited. He said, Tim, this park view is good S. <laughs> and he used the word. I mean, he didn't say yeah. This park view is good. And I just cracked up. He had, he, had, he had no frame of reference that that was not necessarily the analogy we were going for out in public. <laughs> I went back to my staff, and we started thinking out bumper stickers, you know, step into Parkview, Parkview happens. I mean, we, we just had all kinds of great ideas on this. But that's the kind of person Matthew was. That's the kind of person that Jesus came for. Churches are supposed to be hospitals if Jesus came for the sick. And I don't know if any of you work in healthcare, but hospitals are messy. There's a lot of germs there. Understand that analogy. I use this quote a lot. Some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. And guess what? It's dangerous and messy a yard from the gates of hell. But what's our business? Our business is to witness. We're in the witness business. So we go, all right? That's all great and theoretical. Now pull out your in the hood card because this is your exercise for Connect Week. Pull out your in the hood card. Who's in your hood? It's in your bulletin. I want you to do this. I want you to fill in the names of the neighbors who are around you. Just fill in their names. If you know more about them and you want to write some stuff on there, that's great. I just want to challenge you to find out if you even know your neighbors. Do you even, I mean, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, the second greatest commandment. Do you even know their names? I have a friend, a pastor friend who calls this the sheet of shame. We're going to fill out the sheet of shame here. I want, I want to figure out, do you even know who they are? And maybe you live in the country. Maybe you live, you know, in a brand new place you just moved into. It's, it's okay. I just want to find out if you know. Because you can't 
you can't connect, you can't help be a witness to somebody that you don't know. Maybe this is for your work. You want to do this for your office and put the names of the people that are all around you. Be careful with this. You know, if you write their names and you, you decide to put it on your fridge and pray for your neighbors, just make sure your neighbors don't see it if they actually come over. Like, oh, what is that? Oh, you're my project. I mean, that, that's not the, that's, that's, we're praying for you. I hope you find Jesus. I mean, please, you're going to hear me say this a hundred times during Life on Mission. Don't be weird. Just please don't be weird. I would rather you not be on mission than be weird on mission, okay? Just, just be careful with it. But I, this is just an exercise. Jesus, fill it out. Jesus told us to be salt and light, right? He even said, salt does no good unless it's applied. You know that. It's not going to do any good in the shaker. Light does no good unless it's shining in darkness. You can't do any good until you connect with the people that are already in your life. They're already your neighbors. They're already around you, and they might need Jesus. So all I want you to do, don't talk to them about God. Don't talk to them about Jesus. Don't talk to them about Parkview. All I want you to do this week is to focus on connecting. Maybe even have a soup night for your neighbors. Say, hey, everybody, let's just get together and hang out. What are we going to do? I mean, make it a playoff game thing or something. I don't, you know, do, do give, it a, give it an excuse for it. Hey, let's go hang out. Just find out what you have in common. Find out what's going on in their life. Find out, you know, eventually you'll start to find some ways that God's going to open the door for you to pray for them and for you to minister to them. But all I want you to do, do is connect. Don't be too nosy up front. I love the comic who said, my wife thinks I'm nosy. She didn't tell me I read it in her diary the other day. I mean, you know, don't, don't. Just connect with them. That's all you need to do. And we're going to use the analogy of our home as we go through life on mission, all right? Connect is action point number one. And the first thing that you're going to do at the house is this is about the backyard. This is about inviting them into the backyard. The front yard, you know, just chatting as they're walking by, that's one thing. But when you invite them into the backyard or they invite you into their backyard, you've gone to another level. You've connected. So, so you have a barbecue or whatever. You bring them into the backyard. You, you know what I'm saying? Because when you go in somebody's house, you've already gone to the next level. And we're going to talk about that next week. When you go into the house, you know, th then, you're in a, then you're in a little different place. But week one, I just want you to stay in the backyard. Backyard's safe. You know, if they come over to your house and you're weird, they can leave because, you know, they don't have to get up and go anywhere. They're, they just live there. If they invite you over to theirs, that's even better. That's really, really important. If you fill out this next steps card and throw it in the offering on the way out, uh, put this connect thing down. My next step is to connect. We'll send you some information on uh, how to even have a, a neighborhood block party. We've got information to help you with that. Just connect is what we want you to do. And, and, and what I'm talking about, I got a great email from uh, my buddy Ben Kacharis in Maryland. Their church is getting ready to start. And one of the guys in his church sent me, uh, sent, sent me a, a, an email. He said, I've been reading Life on Mission, and I thought I was doing pretty good. And then it hit me. He said, I invite sinners to church. You know, I invite these people, these non-Christian people. I invite them to church, and I offer to sit with them. But I usually don't think about going somewhere else. I usually don't think about, hey, let's go have a cup of coffee. Hey, let's go golfing together. You know, I say, hey, here's where I'm at. I'm going to be at this place at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning if you want to come and hang out, but I need to go be with them. I was like, that was, that was worth the two-year project on this, on this book thing 
right there. He finally gets it. It's about relationship. And, and what he said, he went on and he said, I was getting overwhelmed. You know, you can invite him to church. It's like one thing because you probably won't have any conversations. But I'm afraid that if I get in a conversation, they're going to ask me questions I don't have the answer to. He said, I was overwhelmed about witnessing and I realized I just need to be a witness. You understand that? That, that is so different. So it's about relationship. About relationship. Somebody knocks on your door, you know, Saturday morning. Are you happy about it? No. Yeah, nobody wants to talk to a salesman that they don't know and have them try to sell them something. I mean, if somebody's delivering my pizza, I'm glad for the knock at the door. But past that, I'm not. This is how people feel. Somebody sent me this picture. This is a sign I want. No soliciting. Too broke to buy anything. Already have Jesus. Don't need a vacuum. Seriously, unless you're selling Thin Mints, please go away. But that, that, that's kind of the world we live in. But if I have a relationship with that person and they knock on my door, it's completely different. My daughter Rachel went to uh, Birmingham, England for five months during her college career to help start a campus ministry over there. During that time, uh, she developed a relationship with a really brilliant master's degree student in computer science, and they, they became friends. And, and Ash was a stereotypical, you know, English millennial. He didn't want to have anything to do with God. He, he had a skeptical soul, amazing mind, a great heart, but he didn't want to have anything to do with God, probably because, you know, he'd heard the story of Jesus, but he'd never had anybody represent it to him in a way that he ever wanted to have anything to do with it. He didn't want anything to do with it. And normally when he came into contact with a religious person, he was really smart so he could argue them into a corner and get them off of his case. Until he came into contact with a, a group full of, a ministry full of young Americans who decided that they would actually go to the pubs and hang out with people and just listen to people's questions. Rachel spent five months there, went back to, to go back to school and, and finish her degree and stayed in contact with Ash over the internet. And they were chatting back and forth uh, about things. And, and over the course of the conversations, he started to come around and started to open up a little bit. And at one point, she shared with me their, uh, their Google chat conversation when he's starting to get it. And I just want you to hear this because this is the example. Ash said, Rachel, when I met you, I could have, and had in the past, given hours of justification for why I hated religion. I could have reeled off a list and put you as a religious fanatic in your place. Had you come at me and why I hated, had you come at me and challenged why I hated religion, I would have told you why I pitied people who believe in God and Jesus and the resurrection. And no offense, but I would probably come away looking pretty smug for all of my excellent arguments and rational victories of logic. But you didn't do that. You just went ahead and showed me that it was all bull parked you. <laughs> and, and that most of my facts are opinions wrapped in justification. He said, well, the best analogy I can think of is kind of biblical, but I'm going to risk it. See, the people of the world do know the Bible. They do know a lot more than we think. He said, it's like I spent years building all these foundations to stand on. And people would come and say, hey, your foundation's looking pretty rubbish. And I'd throw stuff at them and tell them to bugger off because they were, after all, standing in the mud themselves. But then you showed up, Rachel. And you walked up 
And instead of pointing fun at my rubbish foundations, you just walked over and stood on a rock. And I'm looking over thinking, hang on, she's not saying it, but that rock required no building at all. And it looks a lot sturdier than my foundation. And you don't even have to tell me because I can see the damned rock. Ash became a Christ follower, not because anyone argued him into the kingdom, but because somebody was a witness. A witness. The word witness in Scripture is almost always a noun. It's almost always a noun, not a verb. A witness is who you are, not something you do. It's who you are. You understand that? Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Not you will go witnessing, you will be my witnesses. And in a matter of a few days or maybe a few weeks, that guy is going to start raising my grandson. Isn't that awesome? He became a believer. They started dating over the internet. They got engaged and they got married and they're getting ready to have our first grandkid. My witness, check this, my witness affected Rachel's eternal destiny, my daughter. Rachel's witness affected Ash's eternal destiny. Ash's witness will change my grandson's eternal destiny. Where's it going to end? I don't know. But it's good. Rachel met Ash in a bar. Is that okay? <laughs> it might not be for you. I mean, if you have a problem with that, don't go there, please. <laughs> but Rachel didn't find, didn't witness to Ash by inviting him to church. We actually had to sign off on Rachel being allowed to drink alcohol when she went to England. I, I, I know some of you are going to be uncomfortable. She wasn't even 21 yet. She'd never drank ever before in her life. I'm a pastor, you know, we're like, okay, what, what? She's got to drink alcohol? I don't understand. They're like, no, you don't understand. You can't start a ministry to college kids in England unless you go to the pub, because that's where they are. Like, the drinking age is like 11 in England. You know this, right? They have Guinness in their baby bottles, for crying out loud. All right? And they're like, you also need to understand that these kids can't go into a pub and order a Diet Coke and sit around and have any credibility with these people that are there. So you're going to have to be okay with her drinking alcohol. My daughter had to acquire a taste for English beer to be able to go do ministry. And I understand how dangerous this discussion is. I do. Jesus wasn't tempted at Matthew's house. Rachel wasn't tempted at the pub. Stay out of those places. My friend Brian Head Welsh, who's the lead guitarist for Corn, when he found Jesus, Corn is way not Christian. When he found Jesus, he got out of the band. God said, you need to get out of that thing and, and, and get your life together and get off meth and, and get all the things straightened out in your life. Guess what? Three years later, now he's back with Corn. 
He's performing with corn, doing, you know, in, in, in like the most ungodly places you could possibly imagine. Not only is he a Christian, but Fieldy, the bass player, is also a Christian now. And people are coming to Jesus at Slipknot slash corn concerts. Does that make any sense to you? Absolutely it does, because they're being witnesses. They're going where they're supposed to go. That's what I'm talking about. If, if it's a dangerous place for you, you shouldn't go there. Don't reconnect with your ex-girlfriend on Facebook because you want to be a witness, all right? Stay off of Facebook. I'm tired of dealing with that. Just, just connect with your Jerusalem. Just do that. And that means you got to go. And that may mean that you're going to be called to some people that are gonna make you a little bit uncomfortable. It may mean that you're gonna be called to some places that are gonna make you a little bit uncomfortable. It may mean you're gonna end up at Body Tech working out with a guy in a strip club t-shirt. But you can only connect. You can only be a witness when you're with them. The Bible records 34 encounters of individual encounters of people that, that have an encounter with Jesus. 34 of them. You know how many were in a church? One. We got to get out there. Jesus said, Go into all the world. You might be wondering, <clears throat> so how'd it go with that Matthew guy? <laughs> Did you happen to notice? He wrote the book. 